Annyeong, welcome to I've Made a Huge Mistake in Arrested Development Podcast. I am your host, Darren, and with me today I have two guests. First of all, I have Alison. Hello, Alison. Hello, glad to be here. And I have Steve. Hello, Steve. Hello. And Steve is returning from episode six, Charity Drive. Um, it's very good to be back. was, what was, yeah, well, I can't even remember what was going on in Charity Drive. I've now recorded so many of these. Oh, that's oh, when they went to the, into one. they went to the wetlands. There was the, uh, the, 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 the charity Michael. Oh, yeah. A, uh, 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 a Mexican yes. woman who he thought was his maid. <laughs> yeah. This is Missing Kitty, which is, um, episode 16 on the DVD, but was broadcast episode 18, um, which kind of made no sense. Um, it was broadcast on the 28th of March, 2004. Um, it was directed by Joe Russo. It's the final episode that he'll direct this season. And it was written by Mitch Hurwitz and John Levenstein. And I believe I've spoken about John Levenstein on um, his previous episodes. So I'm going to read the uh, DVD summary which goes as follows. Michael finally stands up to George Sr. and fires his old secretary, and Joe performs the ultimate magic trick when he finally makes the family yacht disappear. So the main plot of this episode is all about spring break. Uh, We get John Beard telling us up top that uh, everyone's on spring break. Uh, Michael uh, is trying to get rid of Kitty because she's a terrible secretary for him. And Job is promising to make a yacht disappear. And in between all that, maybe and Lindsay are trying to track down uh, Nana. And we get the conclusion of Tobias uh, being in prison uh, in research for his role uh, as frightened inmate number two. Uh, first of all, I'm going to ask Alison, did you watch the show when it was on? Or did you catch up with it on DVD? Or did you get to it when it was on Netflix? Uh, you know, when, when, when did you become a fan, basically? I caught it afterwards because I was a bit too young for it when it aired. Um, I had heard a lot about it from friends, so I actually initially tried to watch season three on Hulu, and that clearly didn't work because jumping into that is, (laughs) jumping into the series midway is not the way to do it. Um, but then I did end up watching it later on Netflix, so that was about... 2010-ish. It was a couple years before the season four on Netflix. I'm finding that there's a lot of people who are saying that they didn't watch it when it was on the air, which I feel might explain why it only initially lasted three seasons. (laughs) Right. Well, it's the type of thing Uh, where I only heard about it until years, years after it was on the air. So I I think that's a pretty common sentiment. Yeah. Great stuff. Well, let's get into this episode then, because it's quite a a packed episode. And there's a a few kind of iconic lines that get uh, put into this. Um, particular episode and we start off with it's it's spring break and george michael is off from school and job is doing the first of many tricks that he will do in this episode aside from his um uh, when he's when he's at the magic castle i think this is like one of the kind of like more magic heavy episodes yeah and yeah. by by magic i mean him constantly taking his top off to reveal his nipples <laughs> and blowing up a yacht i i mean i don't know if either of those things count as magic tricks but that is what we're getting here with job i mean george michael's just delighted yeah this is the thing is i love i love the fact that this is kind of the first time that we see george michael um enjoying Job's magic, which you would think would be like a natural thing, because Job is a magician for kids. I mean, it's a, it was a poor idea in the previous episode, but you would think that he, there would be something there. You would think that you know that the cousins would want to see Job's magic tricks or illusions, should I say? Although in this in this episode, curiously, Job actually says that um, the, uh, the the card trick that he does, where he takes his shirt off, is a new trick. He doesn't oh. say new illusion, so That's a good point. Um, he just—it's <laughs> something yeah, he, he does for money he or cocaine. <laughs> yeah, he he doesn't he doesn't correct himself, but I do love this whole thing about you know it's the king of diamonds and then obviously it's not, uh, which is a classic kind of like misdirection of doing the, the kind of false reveal in a trick and then doing the real reveal, and then of course, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Joe rips off his shirt and uh, says it's the queen of diamonds and i love george michael's line where he says um 
if that had been the actual card, I'm pretty sure I'd be almost too blown away. <laughs> Which is such a great kind of like really kind of damning with faint praise. And I love how Job, he says, um, like in terms of how he's like um, uh, kind of working the trick, he says... Um, I'm still tweaking my nipple thing, which is <laughs> such a kind of great line that Will Arnett kind of throws away. And I love how George Michael is like, your presentation is great, as if that's like the most important thing. But Michael Sarah plays this part so earnestly, too. Like, it, it's it's not like he's just being sarcastic and saying, oh, what? That's that's amazingly close. You know, he's he's really like looking for anything to praise this. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's spring break and he's been promised the opportunity to see some co-eds in various state of undress. And so he's, he's really <laughs> like very eager to, to kind of encourage this kind of behavior to, to go along with it. I, I love the line that I'm just, I'm loving the ride, you know, just, just the way that he says it. Like I'm just, she's just so excited, even though that he, he knows there's going to be nothing there. And I, I think uh, as well as we start like two little running jokes in this thing about nipples mm-hmm. and about the sleaziness of Job's current lifestyle. <laughs> and at this particular point, it appears that Job is living on the yacht. Having broken up with Marta, I guess he has nowhere else to go but the yacht. Um, he's bounced between various places so far in the series, but we are firmly at the yacht, which is why I don't understand why he's going to blow up his his place of residence right well i think that says a lot about uh his commitment i guess to trying to be a magician the fact that he's willing to blow up what is essentially his home for a few moments of i did it (laughs) yeah um yeah and to commit to commit to um a promise he made on a youth orientated music network Which is such a great way of not saying MTV, basically. (laughs) The the through line of this episode, the the whole idea that spring break is this revered tradition that has its own, like, uh, 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 rituals and its own thing. Like, like it's something that everybody observes. Like, like, that's just hilarious to me. Like, Michael's kind of baffled by it. But, I mean, everything. Like, like Job says spring break and then gives him a chest bump, you know? Like, like that's the traditional spring break (laughs) greeting. You know, everybody's got this ritual around it. Right, especially since I don't know about where everybody lives, but I know that for me, spring break is so different around here that nobody, I mean, once you're an adult, nobody cares. But I I just love that they're like, wait, you're not closing the office? It's spring break. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They're not. They're not orthodox. That's the thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, I just love this kind of weird thing where when Job says um, nothing gets me more excited, and Michael says I can see that, um, which is like the, which is, which is like the second nipple joke in like a minute, and then he says you might want to button up that shirt, and I love how Job dismisses him by saying no, I'm good. <laughs> like he doesn't care that he's ex- got his nipples exposed with this huge queen of diamonds, like in. Um, I mean, is it lipstick or I don't? I'm not sure what it is, but um, yeah, I, I just, I, you know, who knows? Yeah, I just, I just find. It, well, the thing is, when he chest bumps Michael, a little bit of it kind of rubs off on him. Yeah, yeah. Um, it kind of he gets like this kind of little pink splotch on his shirt. But yeah, so like that's the start of the kind of the the the, ma- the main storyline for Job and George Michael, which is all about like the yacht, um, and also this is the first time that you know we we're getting some nipples. Um, which, you know, Michael will keep account of how many nipples he's seen uh, in this particular episode. Um, so, but yeah, I, I think it, it's... And I, I love how um, Job is like... How young is too young for you? To George Michael. And Michael's kind of disgusted. Th- that's not going to happen, okay? And uh, how, like, <laughs> how easily he kind of... And, I, and I, I, you know, the kind of cruel line of... It is a path to a lonely life. Where people mock you and you don't even realize it. And Job's like, oh, Michael, I'm a magician. Oh. oh, I see what you did. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even seem really mad there. He's just like, oh, I see what you did there. Like, like yeah. kind of accepting it. And this is where we get Michael's introduction to his main storyline, which is the problems that he faces with Kitty. And how she's a terrible... I mean, it's funny because earlier in the season she hasn't been that bad. But she still has been kind of preoccupied with being... Um, George Senior's secretary, and obviously, you know the whole you know storyline with the um, affair. But she hasn't been like a terrible like secretary that we've seen. But I think the, these kind of the quick flashbacks where you know Kitty is like not she she won't answer the phone because she's talking to 
George Senior. You know, she she goes to give files to Michael and she's shredded the wrong thing. Um, you know, and, and she hasn't typed up the report and she says, I've been Googling your father. And Michael goes, so I've heard. Um, and then and we kind of get the um, uh, the allusion to what we're going to find out later, which is um, when he says she's been out for two weeks with this chest thing. What this show is known for, it's kind of a clever way to introduce something that you don't know is going to be a joke. You know, because watching it through, you know, a second or however many more times after that, you realise obviously what that's referring to. Um, and I mean, I've seen this show quite a few times, and I think that this this watching might have been the first time I actually noticed that line. Just that kind of throwaway, <laughs> that throwaway, oh, the chest thing, and then I just immediately go, oh, hey, I know what that means. But it's it's one of those things where every single time I watch it, there is something new that I just, for some reason, never noticed during the several times I've seen this show. I was I was saying that last yeah. time, too, and there, there are actually two things I noticed on this episode that I'd never noticed before. I'll get into them when we get there, but yeah, it just, it, it, it just it's the gift that keeps on giving. It is. And this is where we meet Lindsay and what will be her storyline, which is about Nana, and, you know, checks have been coming through, usually are coming through for Maybe's birthday, but they're not. <laughs> I like, once again, the kind of the cross-talking that happens within the Bluths, which is Lindsay says, have we gotten anything from Nana? And Michael says, Buster got a perforated heart and Job got that receding hairline, but you and I pretty much dodged a bullet. And the perforated heart line is great, too, because that was a that was a slam that Lucille had on Buster a couple episodes ago where he's like, oh, he's he was born yeah. with a defect. He has a hole in his heart, which he literally <laughs> does have a hole in his heart. <laughs> That's when Lucille, too, said she was going to fill it with love. Um, but yeah, so uh, it's funny as well that Michael obviously has a reputation for being the nicer of the uh, the blue th- siblings but in this particular case he manages to take a shot at both Buster and Job um, whilst kind of complimenting himself and Lindsay um, which which I kind of like uh, I really like and I love this whole exchange with maybe like finding out that she's been she's been getting cash for a birthday that she you know hasn't hasn't got and obviously Lindsay lies about investing it and then we get this this the, the great kind of like exchange where maybe like doesn't understand math in any way where they're making, she's making a deal with Lindsay and she says, I'll take you down to see Nana if you split the money with me 60-40. 55-55. Deal. And, and Michael says, Sounds like you guys are getting more than you think. I also love that um, Lindsay completely you know. goes along with it too. Just it's, it's not just maybe that's not understanding math, but it's Lindsay as well just going, Yeah, that sounds about right. 55-55. Yeah, she's, she's, she's just like her mother. Yeah. Um, and, and, and both of them also have not noticed that Tobias has been in prison <laughs> for at least a couple of days at this particular point, preparing for the role of frightened inmate number two, um, which at the end of the last episode, we found out in the next, that um, George Senior had sold him for a pack of cigarettes. Uh, and this is where Tobias... He's now um, sharing a cell with White Power Bill. Um, and I, I love um, James Lipton in this... He's only in this one scene, and it's only... The kind of these two lines, but I love his delivery of everything in this particular scene, um, where Tobias goes in to try and get out of being in prison, and uh, Warden Gentle says, "But didn't you come here to research the nature of fear? I can't think of a better teacher than White Power Bill. He's like a master's course unto himself." And I love how T- Tobias is like, "So you think I'm a coward?" And Warden Gentle says, "There's only one man I've ever called coward. That's Brian Doyle Murray." No. What I'm calling you is a television actor. And I love David Cross's kind of like quiet reading of Ouch. at the end of that scene. <laughs> uh, and the music is kind of like weirdly suspenseful as well. That kind of like, doom, 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 you know, that kind of like weird high pitch kind of thing is played underneath. Oh, sorry. I just, I was saying I really want to see a, a spinoff episode seeing the, this beef between Warden Gentles and Brian Doyle Murray. Like, I can't imagine what he did. <laughs> to warrant that kind of a response <laughs> but <laughs> i really want like a web series or something you know maybe it can go along with the banana grabbers uh, uh, uh mini series or something but uh, but i but i want this i love i love how it's it's very so, so specific as well like brian Dol murray is a very specific kind of choice like it's not just any actor you know it's not like a super well-known actor <laughs> it's like bill murray's kind of like lesser known brother and it's <laughs> such a weirdly specific reference uh, that it just it kind of makes the scene feel like very real 
when it's actually super stupid, but, you know. Yeah, it's such a it's such a um, throwaway line, but it just makes you think so much. Wait, how would this happen? Like, who would? How would these two meet? I mean, I definitely initially was like, oh, they met on Inside the Actors Studio, but then went, wait a sec, this is a <laughs> not exactly. This is not exactly James Lipton. Um, so it's it's. I thought that was that's a really funny line. Yeah, and also, do you ever think Brian Doyle Murray would have his own Inside the Actors Studio episode? <laughs> right. I mean, that's that, that 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 was the journey I went on. Wait, oh, so it was probably an yeah. Inside the Actors Studio joke. Wait, would he really be on Inside the Actors Studio? And this is his character. <laughs> so it was it was a real journey there. We get the. The next bit of um, Lindsay and Maybe's storyline where they go to see a woman who they think is Nana and it takes them 90 minutes to realise she's not. And I love them fleeing with the photo album and with the pie. <laughs> and and Lindsay, Lindsay has to tell Maybe to drop the photo album. We're not in the photo album. And I love that kind of... <laughs> it's like, why were they running away with the photo album anyway? Like... Even if it had been Nana, it doesn't make any sense. But yeah, it's kind of like the first step of finding out that there's something up with Nana. Uh, which will take a while to tie back into the other stories. Um, but we get some great stuff from uh, Jessica Walters, which I'll talk about in a little bit when we get to that. But yeah, it like we, we, it's like it's only a little tiny scene, but it's quite funny that um, when the old woman says, is this who I think it is? And they both say Nana together. <laughs> And they, no one like recognizes each other. I just, I just love it. I also like that the pie looks like it's in a box, like it was purchased, like they had just taken a pie out that this woman had <laughs> bought at the store or bought at a bakery. They just are taking it. Oh, this isn't Nana. Drop the pie. It's not like yeah. he's giving them a homemade pie or anything. It is such a weird thing. Um, and of course, we get like when Michael arrives at work. Uh, which the narrator just says, Michael arrived at work to find Kitty, which is really underselling what is going to happen <laughs> in the next kind of scene, where we see uh, Judy Greer. And I think this is, like, of all the episodes with Kitty in, I mean, I like the whole glasses up, you know, uh, glasses off, hair up. I like I like that whole thing. That's really funny. But, like, her stuff in this episode... And there'll be a, there'll be an episode next year which is also spring break related, which also has Kitty, which I also really enjoy. But I think this is her best stuff. I think this the whole stuff with the the kind of the lopsided nipples and how she keeps having to point Michael up to her face, <laughs> despite the fact she's got these like huge breasts with like very obvious pointy like lopsided nipples, and it's such a weird joke, but. It's it's just like so perfect. You could tell she's just been dying to do to say like my eyes are up here. Okay, they're up here. Yeah, she's been dying yeah, her that, whole life to say this, and now she's getting it out. So. <laughs> yeah, and I just love everything Judy Greer does in this episode. It's just like so fun, and I I like how she when she says, "Man, I was really stuffed up there," and she kind of like leans and arches her back, so she's <laughs> basically pointing her breasts at Michael, and it's just. It's such a it's such a good bit of like business. Yeah, all the write all the um, writing's good. Uh, whoever somehow figured out the kind of lopsided nipples, that's perfect. But then, but Judy Greer one hundred percent sells it. So she she's this yeah. is almost like but but this is a great episode for Kitty because I feel like she's almost turning into a supervillain by the end of it. Like she's she's come back from <laughs> surgery. She's yeah. augmented herself. <laughs> Her hair gets progressively crazier <laughs> as the episode goes on. So by the time we get her scene, like where she's sneaking onto the boat, it's just like this wild, like cartoon afro just coming off of her head, and and she's just more and more unhinged. And I just I love the way she plays this. And also like the 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 fact that she says that like Michael can't fire her, like she's kind of impervious to his anything he tries to do. Like he has no control over her. Like that's like a, kind of another kind of supervillain trait is like Michael ca- cannot control anything the kitty does. And that's a running thing too. Like that's that's throughout. Like George Michael and and uh, George Senior both don't think he has any authority to fire anybody, despite the fact he's running the, <laughs> yeah. he's running the company. Like he, but nobody re- actually respects his authority at all. This is the, like this whole exchange here where you know she was on sick leave and now this is her vacation. But her choice for why she got this like breast augmentation surgery stems from two reasons. 
One of which we find out later on the episode. But first of all, we get the introduction of possibly my favourite use of a, a generic. Like a kind of an attempt to do a, a, something that is not quite the brand name, which is Girls with Low Self-Esteem. <laughs> yes. Which is kind of like such a pointed kind of like satire on what it's also kind of trying to kind of do. Uh, you know, because I, I mean, I don't know if every girl on Girls Gone Well had low self-esteem, but I, I feel like calling it Girls with Low Self-Esteem really kind of makes a very kind of pointed uh, satire about that whole kind of series. Um, and also will set us up for a Tobias joke later on, which is also uh, really, really funny. Um but yeah, so, you know, Kitty's looking forward to a more successful spring break, which of course is the kind of phrasing you would say for like, you know, good luck in the new year or hope you have a nice Christmas. Like Again, it's playing spring break as though it's some kind of revered holiday that people observe, <laughs> um, which is such a weird thing. And I, I love the exchange about, um, you know, if you need me, I will be in Senor Tadpoles having a margarita made in my mouth. <laughs> and Michael saying, there will be no margarita in your mouth. And Judy Greer's line reading of, Oh yes, there absolutely will be a margarita in my mouth. Spring break! <laughs> Woo! Up here, Michael. Up here. This is where she first, like, lifts her top up. And that will become, like, her Kitty's trademark. <laughs> is exposing her breasts to employees. From this point forward, that, that will basically be her, um, her, her trademark. And of course, Michael's like, you know, put the shirt back down. Keep on moving. You're fired. And this is where we get into a dispute about, you know, who has hiring and firing power. Um, and as Kitty gets into the lift, I don't know if this is a deliberate joke, but there is a guy who has uh, like a gigantic water bottle that might be interpreted as him carrying a large jug. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like a little background joke. I'm not sure if they meant it like that, but it's, you know, you can kind of see it like that. Um, and this is where one of my favourite lines in the entire rest of development is where Michael goes. Took the seventh nipple I've seen today. <laughs> and I was trying to keep a running count, and I don't, I don't know where the seventh one came from, but uh, that's just, I think that just indicates that there's something weird going on on with 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 Kitty. But uh, who, who, who am I to say? I'm trying to think because I know, I know there's like one odd nipple at some point. It, he might just be counting Job's. The fact that Job has painted over one nipple, basically, so that, oh, that could, he can only mm, see one be. nipple. That's, I think that's how I've always taken it, is that because of the amount of stuff that's on one of Job's nipples, he's only actually seeing one of one of those two. Oh, I, I, I almost prefer to think, though, that it was Kitty's, like, that there's something weird going on there. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, it, it could very well be that Job's nipples covered up, but at the same time, that's not quite as fun. Is but this... she's also absolutely the type who would maybe get like a third nipple grafted onto herself just so she can get more uh, girls with low self-esteem airtime, you know? Yeah. It's like, ooh, wow, that's unusual. Yeah. Let's let's zoom in on that. Let's put That'll her on really cover. enhance her spring break. It will. She'll, it'll be very <laughs> successful. Yeah. Um, we get George Sr. coming in here, and obviously one of the kind of, you know, he he, he is on Kitty's side, which says, you know, he, he can't, you can't hire or fire Kitty because you don't have hiring or firing power, and Michael asserts that he does, and, you know, he had to because she's crazy, and of course George Sr. says, You don't fire crazy, you never fire crazy. Which, of course, suggests that that's how Kitty, being such a terrible secretary, has managed to keep her job this long, um, is that you never fire crazy. Um... You know, and then obviously this is where we figure out that um, George Senior has um, paid for the breasts. Um, you know, and uh, and I love this speech here with uh, which Jeffrey Tambor does, where he he this is the first mention that we get of Oscar without being told it's Oscar, um, <laughs> where he talks about how he was corrupted by power that he enjoyed firing his own twin brother. And he goes, you should have seen his face when he was begging me not to. Well, he's my twin brother. I can show you. And then he makes the face <laughs> of Oscar kind of like pleading. And um, and I, I, just I just love that because obviously that gets called back to later on in the episode. Um, but we also see the second reason why Kitty has had the, uh, the breast augmentation, which is when George Sr. says, there's nothing to hold on down there. You're like a boy. <laughs> such a kind of cruel line to say. Um, and then he starts banging his head saying all these books are cooked 
Um, and this is this is the first time that we get the start of the Iraq stuff mm-hmm. as the the cooler that says uh, H Madas, I think is how it how it yep. looks. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see in the mirror is reflected as uh, Saddam H, <laughs> which is such a like such a great touch. Like I don't know. I, sometimes it's, I can't fathom the mind of uh, Mitch Hurwitz because it's just so perfect to think to put that as a visual joke at this point. It's perfect, and it's the type of thing that you definitely don't really keep an eye on. I mean, I, I'm sure there's somebody at the time who saw that and went, wait a sec, but but it's the type of thing where it's that's <laughs> pretty much just built for those second, third time watching it and you see the see the mirror and you go, wait a sec. And this is where we find out that Michael also doesn't know that um, Tobias is in prison because <laughs> George Sr. accidentally lets it slip and says, I may not have a son-in-law to offer. <laughs> and Michael's kind of like, offer? And George Sr.'s like, to offer me counselling. You know, he should have stayed a shrink. He's very gifted, you know. And this is where we get the joke of... Uh, Tobias had even produced a videotape. But its brief success was due to its misleading name. Once this was discovered, all but ten of the videos were returned. And we see that uh, he had a, another, um, like a series of videos that were called uh, Men with Low Self-Esteem. <laughs> uh, which, I don't know how alphabetically they end up on the shelf with, you know, next to um, Low Self-Esteem. Like, I don't know how that is how the, the, the videos were sorted, but... <laughs> there was a section at, uh, at Blockbuster back in the day. There was a, yeah, there, it was a self-esteem section. Um, yeah, they, they, they keep those set aside. <laughs> and then obviously this is where George Senior he does he does his begging and uh Michael says uh it is kind of a funny face when he laughs at the the kind of repetition <laughs> of the face that George Senior I mean essentially he set himself up for that really you know he shouldn't have boasted about having Oscar beg for something and then you know he has to beg straight away this is where Lucille um, I mean we're quite far into the episode before Lucille makes an appearance here and um Anyong is I think this is the third or fourth episode with Anyong. Um Yeah, well we get here's the thing as well is it's almost as if they knew that the viewers might get tired of that joke and the first time we we see Anyong say Anyong, Lucille goes, That's not getting old. <laughs> right. I just love how how quickly they they might have realized that the viewers would get tired of that. But also it gives the opportunity at the end of this scene um, for um, I'm trying to remember the actor's name. Is it Justin Justin Lee? Uh, I think who plays so. Anyong. He he. At the end, he says Anyong, but completely differently. He says it really flat and kind of puzzled. And I I love the kind of the subtlety of of, of putting that into the scene. Uh, but this is where we get like Jessica Walter, possibly a, 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 like her 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 peak. Where she delivers the, uh, the the whole cruise speech about Nana. I sent her on a wonderful cruise. You just missed a wonderful call from her. She just came back from a wonderful costume party that the captain threw. She gained ten pounds. There's so much food on that boat. She's up to seventy-four. <laughs> it's wonderful, just wonderful. And I love how quickly she lies and how thoroughly. But I also love that the narrator immediately contradicts her and says Lucille's mother had been dead for six months, <laughs> which is like... No, I just love how into the delivery she gets, too. Where she's just going on about how Nana is trying pesto for the first time and just just kind of nailed... <laughs> that it's just immediately re- revealed, oh, it's, it's a complete lie. But... And when Lucille... she, I love that she goes, can you believe that? <laughs> 92 years old and she never tried pesto and it <laughs> totally flat like lifeless eyes when she's saying this line you know like totally affectless like she's she's gone through this a thousand times in her head and uh and obviously there's a bit it's funny because as the narrator is saying that lucille feared the family would come after the inheritance if they found out there's like an exchange of looks between Lindsay and lucille while the narrator's saying that as if they're kind of hearing what the narrator's saying which i think is quite funny mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love Lindsay's question when she's like, was she on the phone, Anyong? And Justin Lee's really hesitant. Anyong? <laughs> and, uh, and of course, at this particular point, Lucille has turned Anyong into her purse. And she goes, emery board? And he like immediately takes an emery board out <laughs> and gives it to her. Um, and it's worth noting at this particular point that this storyline 
kind of only really works because Buster is missing. <laughs> I don't know where he is for this episode. Um, you know, they don't give an explanation as to where he is. Uh, but I think some of this kind of like Anyon stuff wouldn't have worked if Buster was in the episode. Mm. So I think it's it's kind of it's it's notable that he's not there. Though of course, you know, you can always tell a Milford man. <laughs> yeah, but I, I and and then obviously this is where we get to back to the magic, where uh, you know Job is doing the trick that he did earlier, but this time he's changed it, um, and <laughs> I love how. The trick has gotten like noticeably more uh, explicit, basically, <laughs> and and, it, it, and we finish at the line where where obviously you know there's like a whole thing with the t-shirt and he's putting it in the hat, and then he, and then Job says, "And if you'll be so kind as to expose your breasts, please." <laughs> and Michael's immediately they go, "No, no, 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 no! What are you doing?" And I love how George Michael, even though. Some you know, Job is basically just using this for sleazy means. Um, George Michael is like, you know, you're supposed to keep your eye on the the shirt in the hat, which <laughs> suggests that he wouldn't have even paid attention if if the 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 young woman had exposed herself in front of him. He would have been concentrating on the hat. You know, George Michael is only there because he wants to see how the yacht is going to disappear, and he he calls it. You know, he says it's like a a mind puzzle, like an awesome mind puzzle. Um. But obviously, you know, it's not <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, so far Job has done nothing. I like how, you know, we've only just been told about girls with, so, with low self-esteem, but Michael immediately uses it as a reference when he says that he's out looking for Kitty and he finds his son in the middle of a girls with low self-esteem video. Um, and then I love how Job kind of dismisses that by saying, oh, don't worry, he's, he's going to be covered with a blue dot. <laughs> it's just... As, as if that's the issue. I just this this moment there's a great like emotional misdirect where where you know the narrator's queuing in and they cue the soft music that they've used several times before where uh, where he's, he's saying oh Michael realized that uh, his son might admire his uncle and everything like that and you get this misdirect that he's gonna side with Job and say oh you hey buddy you go spend more time with him but then no he immediately pulls back he's like nope I can't have my son respecting my brother we're getting you out of here right now. <laughs> It is the worst possible thing yeah. that could happen. And it's building yeah. off of like what we know about the show at this point and, and how they use that device. And uh, so it's a great little misdirect. And, of course, we get a flashback to Kitty and Job where we find out that, you know, uh, Job gets very girly after, as, uh, <laughs> as Kitty says. Uh, and she, uh, t- for, uh, it's worth noting she has her uh, hair down and her glasses on. So... I guess that was the combination they landed on. Um, but yeah, and then obviously, you know, that leads Job to say that Kitty knows way too much, which obviously, you know, is just basically it's enough to embarrass him um, and obviously embarrass George Sr. as well. Um, and then this is where he tells Michael that, you know, she's she's down at Sr. Tampoles. And Michael goes, right, having a cocktail made in her mouth. <laughs> as if he wouldn't have remembered that turn of phrase from earlier in the day. Um, you know, and he and he says, you know, stay away from my son. And I, I love Job's kind of manipulation in this moment where he's like, wow, Michael, I'm really hurt. It's family. And what's more important than family, Michael? This yacht? And when Michael says, of course not, Job goes, well, I'd make that deal right now. I'll stay, <laughs> I'll stay away from your son if you let me use the yacht. And I love how Michael goes, the holidays really bring out the best in you. <laughs> Which, once again, people kind of using spring break as though it's some kind of observed holiday. And then we get the end of White Power Bill. And I'm not going to say I'm sad to see him go, because obviously, you know, he's not a nice person in any way, uh, especially considering how he greeted um, Tobias in the previous episode by referring to him as something that almost sounds like a tyke. But I think, and that was when, of course, uh, Tobias called him a shiny building of a man, which is possibly one of my favourite ever phrases in this uh in this show uh but the actor playing white power bill david reynolds i think in the three short episodes that he's in in the kind of little tiny bit of screen time i think he does a really good job of playing a gigantic white supremacist (laughs) um you know so i don't know if that's a compliment but i i i kind of love this scene just because of how david cross really commits to being tobias the therapist and obviously, for most of the episodes up to this point, we've seen Tobias being, 
the you know like the the actor the failed actor the actor who can't get a job you know like the guy who's been duped by Carl Weathers into giving him tons of money for lessons that aren't really that useful you know um but this is the first kind of time that we actually see him uh using his skills as a therapist um and it ends up kind of saving his life you know because he has a a four o'clock pounding that apparently has been promised um and you know (laughs) the fact that he's like where does the hate come from now obviously you know he's mainly doing this for the acting role so it's not completely altruistic but i do like kind of the way he he kind of talks it through um and apparently white power bill thinks that the hate comes from the jews i guess um and then of course we get the whole you know i hate the government i hate my father you know white power bill eventually realizes he hates white power bill uh, just as the recreation is called, and Tobias says, go get him, just as White Power Bill sits on the edge of the railing and says, I hate White Power Bill, and then jumps off to his death. <laughs> Which is a kind of, is a very dark thing to stick into this sitcom about a, a company, you know, about a family whose company is failing because they can't build houses or whatever. Like, it's such a weird kind of thing to put there. And then Tobias kind of just turns around and is like, well, I... And then... You see all the other prisoners gathered, and in particular, Little Justice, otherwise known as, um, uh, what was it, Ben Avram? I can't remember what he was christened oh, in the yeah, previous yeah. episode. <laughs> bef- 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 David, David Ben Avram, I think it is, it was what he was called, before he got shortly hit on the head with a pipe. He says that, he, you know, Tobias killed uh, White Power Bill, like Dorothy. The Wicked Witch is dead, all hail Dorothy. Which, of course, is uh, such a kind of... Such a great reference to the whole kind of like Friends of Dorothy thing. Mm-hmm. Which, that's one of the gags I didn't get before. And I think because, I don't know, that's not a very common term, but I'd, I'd, I'd finally learned the term Friends of Dorothy. And so when he comes and introduces himself as a friend of Dorothy, like I finally, it finally just clicked with me. I was like, oh my God. Same here. I don't think I, I knew that, especially the first time I watched it. So but then you watch it a second time, you go, oh, okay, I, I see this. Yeah. In a different podcast that I've been doing about the film Clueless, there is a scene where uh, a particular character uh, reveals to two other characters the sexuality of another character. And in doing so, he has a long list of things that that refer to someone being gay. And on that list is a friend of Dorothy. Um, and that was from Clueless. So... <laughs> And see, and that's um, that's one of, know. and I'd seen that movie, and it's it's one of those phrases that just kind of slipped past <laughs> me. I don't know. I'd never, it never yeah. clicked for whatever reason. Weirdly, I think it, I think yeah. it finally clicked when I was I was watching an episode of the IT Crowd not too long ago, where uh, they were watching Gay the Musical, and they had a song called "I'm a Friend of Dorothy," <laughs> and that finally, I'm then like, okay, now I find, yeah. I think I needed a gay musical to to really sink it in for me. I mean, the thing is though, who would not love? Uh, Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. She's great. Yeah, you know, yeah, and Dorothy. she she looks fan, she looks fantastic with the pigtails and the gingham dress, and you know the little picnic basket. Who wouldn't want to be her friend? She's got a nice little dog. Seems down to <laughs> earth. Know. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, she's a great singer. I mean, uh, something which of course Tobias will try to imitate in a little bit, but uh, which also possibly my favorite kind of David Cross moment. <laughs> There's um, another rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> don't ruin it yet Steve don't ruin it yet sorry, sorry. Uh, and um but anyway so Michael tries to to get Kitty to come back and like you say her hair has gotten bigger she's wearing a Cloudmere vodka shirt which is uh, a callback to a few episodes ago um and I love how you know her breasts have gained their own personality because she's saying, "Who are you asking back, Michael? Me or these?" And she points to her breasts. And I love how how Jason Bateman kind of plays it so awkwardly, where he's like, "I want you all back. I want the whole gang." <laughs> Such a weird way to refer to Kitty, um, you know. And obviously, they get into another dispute about you know who can hire and who can fire, which of course escalates with Michael firing her. Once again, but we get this this great exchange, which will be called back in about kind of like five episodes time where, um, you know, she says, uh, you know, he goes, if you're threatening me, you're going to be very sorry. And Kitty says, are you threatening me? And Michael goes, yeah, that's a threat. I'm threatening you. And then Kitty screams, did everyone hear that? Michael Bruce is threatening me. And <laughs> I love Judy Greer's kind of line reading of Michael Bluth is threatening me. 
Uh, and of course, this this leaves John Beard to rush out of the scene, <laughs> saying that he can't be a part of the story and can't be a part. And I just, I John Beard. I mean, I don't know him as anything other than like the fake newsreader on Arrested Development. But apparently, he's a real newsreader. But Which... I think he just does a really good job of in particularly. I mean, say he's only in this scene for like five seconds, but I think he just plays that kind of like serious newsman so well and that's something i i only learned too i think just from listening to the first episode of this podcast too i i didn't know because i don't live in the la area so i mean i didn't know he was a real newscaster i just thought he was kind of the stock fake newscaster for this show but that makes it all funnier <laughs> that he's a real guy and uh yeah. yeah it's weird it's weird because trisha thune is fake but he is real so right. it kind of blurs the line in a weird way yeah i if I hadn't looked this up, I wouldn't have known that either, but it, it must have been a real trip to Hello? live in the L.A. area and go, wait, why is he on this show too? That would be kind of weird, but apparently, like, that, like for people who lived in L.A., that, that was kind of part of the joke, was that it made it quite authentic that, like, this guy was actually the news the newscaster. But like I say, Trisha Thune was fake, but he was real. Um and of course, this is where Kitty once again says, "Say goodbye to these." <laughs> mm-hmm. And I love how Michael's like, "No, no, 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 no," because obviously he's already seen them like three times that day. <laughs> he doesn't need to see them again. Um, and then I love um, the headline for the news, the like the little news bit that pops up where it says, "I," like um, you know, "Oh, I uh, witness." Part yeah, of the, yeah, yeah, I witness because. He he's the witness and he's also the eyewitness and it's so so good such so just yep. such so just like a quick joke but so good mm-hmm. um, and I love I love that he says uh, a woman shows all during a fracas at a local restaurant sources say <laughs> obviously he is the source so. looking down <laughs> right. a little bit I mean he's he's actually quite funny he's a, he's a, he's a good he's got good comic timing he reminds me a little bit of the guy whose daughter is on Girls who was Brian disgraced Williams. I was yeah. just gonna say bro yeah. Brian Williams is on yeah. 30 Rock quite a bit, and he's really funny and really self-deprecating. So Until everyone found out he lied about that thing, and then yeah, yeah that puts a pall I mean, over everything. That's a whole other, yeah. But still, he was funny yeah. on 30 Rock. <laughs> he kept a tube um, sock full of birdseed yeah. in his dressing room. Nobody knows why. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, this is where we find out that, um, y- you know... Uh, George Michael is now in the office, uh, wherein, as as always seems to happen with George Michael and Michael, he's he's being forced to do stuff by his father that he doesn't really want to do, much in the same way that Michael was forced to do stuff by George Cena that he didn't want to do. Uh, so, you know, it continues on. And I love, um, you know, Michael saying, isn't this much more fun working with your dad? And George Michael going, you know, uh, it's just... And then as the phone rings, Michael goes, are you going to get that? <laughs> so I, I just love it uh, and this is of course where we get to George Michael saying uh, talk you off what pop pop oh. we, 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 we cut to George Senior saying George Michael oh hey uh, I, I thought you when's that voice going to drop where's Kitty <laughs> oh that's um, just uh, the incest jokes on this show are so <laughs> uncomfortable and hilarious and ridiculous yeah uh, it I feel like that's one of the things that it took me the longest to acclimate with when watching this show. Like, I'm at the point where I've seen the show enough where I'm like, oh yeah, incest joke. But when I first started watching the show, just all the references to that just kind of took a while (laughs) to go, um, maybe, maybe not. And this is one of my favorite George Michael lines where, um, you know, George Michael's talking and, um, you know, he puts the phone down and Michael says, what do you say? And George Michael goes, well, if I clean it up, it's not really a sentence. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Which I I just, I just love that. But the thing is, you you think that, you know, Pop Pop would not use that kind of language with his um, grandson. Because in past episodes, he's like, he choked Job because Job sent George Michael off to like break into the records office. So like, there's a certain level of protection that he has over his grandson. So you think he wouldn't use that language on the phone to him, but. I guess he's quite angry about what's going on with Kitty. Um, you know, and obviously, George Sr., he calls up... Um, he calls up someone who we, we don't find out until later on is um, Job. Um, and this is where Little Justice turns up with his shoes painted red. Uh, and he says, call me the Tin Man, which makes no sense, because why would the Tin Man have red shoes? <laughs> um, 
But, you know, it works for the joke, which is where he says, I'm a friend of Dorothy's now. And we get the, the, Tobi- the classic Tobias gender switch where Little Justice says, and she wants to see you. <laughs> so everyone, everyone is now referring to Tobias uh, as a she. And I'm going to jump ahead to the, the kind of end of the Tobias George Sr. storyline because I, you know, he arrives at the, uh, at the, at the cell um, and I love the narrator saying uh, George Sr. was forced to visit someone he had once tried to shove out of a moving car. <laughs> Which is such a kind of like definitely one of the more awkward uh, uh, attempts at wordplay. <laughs> yeah. And then obviously this is where I find out that he's Dorothy, and he wants to talk man on man <laughs> again. Uh, <laughs> Tobias was the uh, um, and you know uh, we find out that, that Tobias has been in the family for sixteen years, um, and he says I don't think we've ever had a conversation. Now I. Th- think this might be a reference to the fact that uh, this is kind of 16 episodes in and these characters haven't really had a conversation um you know like he tried to have a conversation with him last time but you know people got hit on the head with pipes and various other things um but this is kind of the first time that we've had a sustained tobias george senior kind of exchange oh that's interesting uh, and, and mm-hmm. we find out that that you know, Tobias says that George Sr. hates him. And this is, you know, quite a serious thing where he says, you took my daughter and my precious little girl and moved away. And now I'm here and I'm, I'm afraid I'll never get her back. Uh, which is a touching moment, which, of course, Tobias then stomps all over with, uh, you know, fear has turned into hate. Um, so frightened inmate number two isn't frightened at all. He's angry. He's a crabby old coot. <laughs> uh, once again someone in the blue family doesn't know when to stop and they just keep on going um and of course uh, george senior gets bleeped as he says get your hands off me and then this is where we get tobias singing somewhere over the rainbow there's another <laughs> rainbow it's it's now here's the thing obviously you know that's a reference to uh wizard of oz but also a reference to the rainbow flag, I think. The fact mm. that he repeats the word rainbow mm. twice. So it's kind of like an interesting... And I like how he's like, shh, don't be scared, to George Sr. <laughs> I mean, George Sr. was the one who like made the negotiation to kind of get rid of him. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, I just think it's, that's kind of like a great finish to that particular storyline because, of course, you know, the, the next time um, we see them... Um, you know, George Senior's still in prison, but Tobias, uh, in a cutscene actually at the end of this episode, finally gets to play Frightened Inmate Number Two. But you know, the research is over essentially. And there's, there's still, I, I, I love. This is a testament to Tobias's obliviousness that uh, I think him being in prison to research being a frightened inmate is probably the least frightened you've seen him in the whole show. <laughs> <laughs> he's just he's really just not getting the lesson and in fact he's using this term time to like be a therapist and to to mend fences with his father-in-law and like he, he's just absolutely not getting what he's supposed to be getting out of this experience and i think that's, right. just, yeah. that's, that's perfectly tobias i mean he just does not get it and i always love um, hearing david cross I, sing on another note he's got a beautiful uh he's got a beautiful high voice Anybody's watching Mr. Show, yeah. he sings he sings quite a bit. He's got a lovely voice. Even when he's mangling the lyrics. In fact, if I ever if I ever hear anyone trying to sing somewhere of the rainbow, I immediately say there's another rainbow because <laughs> I I think it's better than the original lyrics. It's the um, <laughs> yeah. I would I would also point out that this is probably the fakest that David Cross's mustache has looked as well. Um, in the series like that 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 mustache has looked fairly real in places and it took me a while to realize it wasn't really a mustache. But in this, I don't know what it is about the prison environment, but maybe it's the fluorescence or whatever, but it just makes the mustache look a little uh, not very real, looks a little bit too fakey. Um, But that's just me, I guess. Um, And we find out, I mean, kind of a culmination of all the storylines, we find out that, um, you know, Lindsay and maybe turn up at the office and they're saying that, you know, Nana was sent on a cruise and of course, Michael thinks you know it's all about the money, but Lindsay insists that he thinks she thinks that something's happened to Nana and that she's in some grey windowless room against her will. 
Um, and then, of course, you know, George Michael. Now, generally, I think George Michael and maybe are like this. This little exchange feels a little wrong because I don't think of George Michael as being this gullible. Um, but it, I guess it's a funny joke where, um, you know, maybe says the only way to find out is to sneak on the boat while he does it. And George Michael says, yeah, but then if he makes it disappear, won't everyone just see me standing there? And then maybe says, let's quietly consider how ridiculous that statement was. That's perfect line uh, delivery but, by uh, Michael Sarah there. But like I say, I, it doesn't feel completely true to George Michael's character mm. at this point. Like maybe he was a little bit more naive earlier in the series, but I, I, I don't know. I, I just don't think he would have fallen for that quite so quickly. Um, and then, of course, George Michael vanishes. Um, off to see Uncle Job um, and of course Job you know turns him away uh, <laughs> saying get the hell out of here you don't have the magic in you you never did you, <laughs> you don't have it here uh, you know so take a good look <laughs> it's the last time you're going to see these and of course he takes his shirt off as well uh, and then he tells and then the thing is, you know, Job does that kind of like under his breath muttering thing. And then obviously, you know, like he's like, sorry, more than you'll ever. And then George Michael's like, what? And he's like, beat it. <laughs> it's also the perfect <laughs> kind of like it's also the perfect use of music there. Um, like the series always has really great music, but just the kind of sad. This is going to be kind of a sappy movie moment. Music is just just perfect in there. It is. It is. Yeah, because it's kind of like sentimental and he's like. It's, I think they did it with um, Michael a couple of episodes back where when he was going out with Jesse and Jesse walks away and he, and he says Jesse and she turns around and he's like, oh, I've got nothing. And it's kind of <laughs> the same thing here where as, as, as George Michael leaves, Joe goes to say something like, and then as he turns around, he has to kind of like tell him to go again. And then we get to the show. Uh, only the second time that we've heard the final countdown. Uh, first time since we were at the um, the Gothic castle um Mm -hmm. and you know uh, job does his thing about the queen of diamonds and throws the card off to one side and then we see the whole setup with the boat uh you know michael arrives looking for george michael uh lucille you know she's she's still using anyong as a purse (laughs) and can't find anything in him this was the second joke that i'd never caught before and it's really disturbing if you look at Anyang during this scene where he's on the beach, he's staring at his feet and he's flinching every time fireworks go off, which which kind of, it's like a character choice that indicates that he was taken from some kind of war zone and that this is a really traumatic experience for him. They don't call attention to it at all, but it's just, I noticed it this time and it was just really upsetting. Well, when he was working at Banana Stand, he said, you know, like, he went to sleep and then he woke up in a crate next to a pig. Right. So I, so obviously the the adoption firm that they used was not strictly above board. So, I mean, we get some incest jokes and we get some human trafficking jokes. And, uh, yeah. Job says, <laughs> and I love his line because it's just kind of like a, a, a kind of stupid kind of like rhyme thing where he's like, Well, once there was a yacht, now there is not. Which is kind of like almost saying not, but saying naught. And it's, oh, it's, it's so great. And obviously, um, you know, as as is Job's mo as a magician, he can't help but reveal the trick. So you know, um, Michael asks, "How did you do it?" And of course, Job starts off saying, "And Michael never realizes his." And then he goes, "I sunk it. I sunk the yacht." And he's like so excited <laughs> about how he sunk it. You sank a seven hundred thousand dollar yacht, and Job says, "With nine hundred dollars thousands worth of insurance, how about a good job?" <laughs> I love how. He seems to think that that, that that blowing up a yacht warrants a good job when it cl- clearly doesn't. Um, and then obviously, you know, this is where Lucille says Nana was on the yacht and uh, tries to put the blame and say, you know, uh, you know, you killed Nana. And then obviously Lindsay says, she's fine. She's been dead for six months. <laughs> kind of contradictory. Uh, but yeah, and this is where you find out all the stuff about like, you know, the money that was coming in is now in a trust fund for Anyong. And, um, you know, the bank manager is visited by both Lindsay and maybe and Lucille <laughs> trying to figure out what's going on with this money. This storyline will never be touched upon ever again. And the reveal that comes in the at the end of the episode will also never be touched upon ever again. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think it's just like a funny bit of business to kind of tie up this, this, this whole storyline. 
Um, and I like that, that Michael is angry that, you know, he's like, what's more offensive? The fact that you didn't tell us about our grandmother's death or you sank a $7,000 yacht. And uh, I love Lucille going, I just lost my mother, which is not true because she lost her like six months ago. But I love how she's kind of playing on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this is where Michael, I don't know, here's something that, that kind of, you know, obviously a few times in the show, George Michael has basically said to his father that he's he's in love with maybe um and he's always misheard it or not quite heard it uh but he seems to notice that maybe and George Michael kind of hang out together because this is the point at which he asks maybe where George Michael is and maybe says well if he's not here i just have to say he's probably on the yacht and then we get a little flashback to George Michael seeing the kind of debauchery of Job's lifestyle and realizing that he he didn't want to be like his uncle, uh, which is kind of nice because it, it's nice that, that kind of George Michael reaches that on his own rather than having Michael and Job kind of decide it for him. So I thought that was kind of like a nice little tie up of that story. And of course, this is where Kitty um, gets uh, gets onto the, the, the yacht. Uh, and like you say, her hair is huge and she looks kind of wild and crazy. Um <laughs> I'm guessing she's had more than a few margaritas made in her mouth at this particular point. Um, and then, of course, we get the, the, the kind of great line where um, he calls George Michael up and George Michael answers the phone by saying... Police company, George Michael speaking, not kidding. Um, <laughs> Has to put that in immediately. Traumatized by his dirty talking <laughs> grandfather. And then, obviously, you know, this is where George Michael says... I really think I'm much better off here alone in this office. And you see like the wide shot of the cleaner is just cleaning and it literally is just George Michael by himself, which suggests that a number of the employees like Kitty have taken spring break off (laughs) as though it's an actual holiday because usually the office is quite busy. Like no matter what time it is or what day it is, there's always usually a few employees kind of milling, milling around. But the fact that it's just George Michael answering the phones by himself in an empty office, basically... Uh, and then obviously Michael fires his son, and I love George Michael's. Can you fire people? <laughs> yeah. Like that's been the that's been the big debate throughout the episode, and even his own son won't accept that he can be fired by his father. Um, you know, uh, and then obviously this is where you know they talk about will he be okay without Kitty, and Michael says, "Don't you worry, she'll turn up," and we see Kitty on the. Uh, the Saddam Hussein cooler floating in the water. I don't know how she survived the explosion on the yacht. Uh, I guess it's best not to kind of go into it, but yeah, I think it's a funny visual to end with Kitty just kind of like floating in the sea. And then obviously we get the, the very quick discovery that Lupe finds out that Onyong is 18. <laughs> Therefore, he basically has access to all the money that Lucille was trying to keep from him. Uh, and like I say, that will never be touched upon again. But then we get the second half of the On The Next is actually, it calls forward to a storyline that will happen in episode 21 where Michael is involved in the search for a missing kitty and uh, the officer says, we have a restaurant full of people saying you threatened kitty when she was seen. And uh, Michael says, how does anyone remember this? And I love the, the kind of finishing line, which is... She showed her knobs in the steakhouse, sir. <laughs> um, and what like there was one more scene that was on the on the next, which was Tobias as frightened inmate number two. We actually see the payoff of this build up over kind of four or five episodes, <laughs> the kind of gradual build of the role of frightened inmate number two. Um, and um, he's in a towel in the shower area, and he's he's playing frightened as angry. And then the director says, play it as frightened. And he's like, oh. And then he tells him he's fired. And he's like, oh, so you're getting me more angry. Which, you know, that's how he wants... He thinks that's how he wants to see him play. <laughs> so, you know, even his kind of sort of big break, he, he ends up messing it up completely. Um, but, yeah. So, is there anything else you think that to talk about in this episode that we've missed? Not really. I think we've covered pretty much everything. Just need to once again reaffirm my uh, my my longtime crush on Judy Greer and uh, how amazing she is. I've also I've been lately I've been watching a lot of Archer, which uh, obviously is very like born from the DNA of Arrested Development, and uh, I, I think 
in this episode, not only do we see the beginnings of supervillain Kitty, but we also see the beginnings of her character on Archer, who is uh, a, a crazed, uh, glue-sniffing, uh, uh, abusive secretary. So we see kind of an outsized yeah. version of that in there. <laughs> Definitely. So. On the next episode of I've Made a Huge Mistake, uh, we'll be talking about episode 17, which I believe is, I mean, technically speaking, it's it was broadcast before this episode. <laughs> Um, so it's a kind of weird thing, but yeah, it's, it's basically the start of the, uh, Maggie Liza two-parter, um, with, uh, alter egos where we get to meet a Charith cute story, um, <laughs> and, and everything that ensues from there. Uh, so obviously, you know, join us for that. Uh, otherwise, um, I think we should go to plugs, uh, and I'll start with Alison. Do you have anything you wish to plug? Um, yeah, I am actually starting two blog series on my website. So that's happy-media.net. And right now I'm writing about uh, musicals, the uh, AFI movie musicals. And also uh, we'll be starting some recaps of Gilmore Girls pretty soon. Um, yeah, nothing really new. I, I spoke a little bit last time about Last Last Gen, which is the podcast I'm starting up about, uh, about video games from the the PlayStation 2 era, um, and that's that's coming along, still in the planning stages, but uh, that's, that should be fun. Thank you very much to both of you for joining me. Uh, Thank you for having us. Yep, thanks for having me. And otherwise, goodbye. <laughs> Say goodbye to these.